Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew as we begin a sermon series about one of Jesus' most famous, famous messages. It's ca- often known as, I cannot speak this morning, it's often known as the Sermon on the Mount. I'm entitling this, this uh, sermon series, The Message from the Mountain. And we're going to take a few weeks, and by a few I mean a lot of few weeks, and we're going to crawl through uh, the Sermon on the Mount and the reason I want to take time with this, because I was thinking, Lord, what do you have to say to Forerunner House of Prayer? And what greater thing uh, can we learn than the actual words of Jesus? Right? And uh, I believe the whole, the whole word is good and the whole word is true. But when I was diving into this, I was like, oh my goodness, something about this was just coming alive in my heart. And I wanted us to go there. Um, but before we go there, I actually want to back up because today we are going to be doing um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, but I actually want to skip to the end. Spoiler alert. How many love spoilers? So um, last night we did have the Rockathon, which is kind of a, like the lock in we do here. And uh, the kids, you know, we had the guys all out kind of playing hide and seek and. And my favorite thing was to hide from the guys, and as they're coming around the corner, to scare them. And then the guys would go, and the girls would, you know, it was their turn to go out and do their hiding, and then that was just as fun as the guys. Um, I was so sure a couple of you completely lost your, your vocal cords uh, in the middle of, of playing that game. Yeah, it was. There's a few times when I was like, I thought the 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 girls were up in the coffee shop. I didn't, those guys, they just, but man, it got, it got intense. Um, but uh, one of my other favorite things to do, and I'm not sure scaring people is really a, a godly attribute or not. I've talked about that before. Another one of my favorite things is spoiling movies. I don't know why. I enjoy it. Um, and you guys are like, I don't think it's right for you to spoil movies. But all I have to say is Disney keeps remaking these movies into live action, and everyone just goes bananas for them. You guys already know exactly how the entire movie's gonna go. The whole thing's been spoiled, and yet we go see The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. It's just a remake. It's just, we just reheated it up and reserved it, and we're like, yes! It's been completely spoiled. So um, I'm gonna spoil the Sermon on the Mount for you this morning, but it's gonna be okay. Uh, turn with me, actually skip over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and in Matthew chapter 7, it says, and when Jesus finished saying these things, like when he finished the Sermon on the Mount, when he finished the message from the mountain, it says, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Here's, here's, where like language sometimes fails us. How many know in English 
we have like idiomatic expressions sometimes that they don't have in other languages. I remember when we had a foreign exchange student and one day it was raining real hard and I said, man, it's raining cats and dogs. And our French foreign exchange student looked at me like, are you crazy, right? Because that is a weird thing to say. It's raining cats and dogs, right? And they have that in the original language. And so when we read this, maybe your translation says that when he finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed or the crowds were astonished. And it doesn't really hold up to the original translation on that because the word there, astonished or amazed, it's actually like to be like almost like, like it means to be struck like you went senseless. Like you were just like, oh my, like, like just completely smack senseless almost. Like probably a better translation would be that your mind was blown in modern day language, right? Like their minds were blown. Like they couldn't believe what they were hearing. Now, how many have ever read the Sermon on the Mount before? A few of you. How many when you got done, you put down your Bible and you're like, my mind is blown. It, it's not right? And so a couple things I want to do as we crawl through this is I want to bring you to the mind-blowing, life-giving truth of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And why, when these guys got done hearing Jesus, why all of a sudden were they just like, what is going on? And so to do that, now that I've spoiled it for you, we're going to actually go back before the Sermon on the Mount, which is... um, Matthew chapter 4. And Eddie, I have to say, one problem I'm having right now is this text is so teeny, teeny, tiny. As I'm leaning in here, I don't think I can read this. Um, Matthew chapter 4. And if we back up into Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. For that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, some of you who are in our disciple-making groups, this might seem familiar to you because it's the exact same thing that we see in Mark 1.15. It's just Matthew's version of it, but it's the same thing. When Jesus walked onto the scene, he started saying this. He started saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What Jesus is saying is, look, God has come close And you're in the special moment where God has come close to you. That's what it means to be at hand. Like right now, Cole, I pick on you a lot, Cole, but you're close, right? Right now, Cole is at hand, like he's close. And this is Jesus' message. He's like, God has come close, like the kingdom of God, or sometimes it says the kingdom of heaven. You'll see those used interchangeably. Like the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven has come close. And for us today, we're just like, okay, that's nice. But there's a difference because, see, what we're not living in is an oppressive culture. These are Jewish people, and what has happened is a Roman army has come in and taken over their area. Now, today, if someone came in, um, I know like when I was a kid, we had the Cold War thing going on, and they were always scared the Russians were going to attack us. Does anyone remember that? Right? And we would train by hiding under our desks just in case they bombed us. Like, that would do us any good. Anybody have to hide under a desk ever? Yeah, it was ridiculous. But there was this fear that the Russians, they even would make movies about it, about the Russians coming in. And can you imagine this morning, if we didn't have the freedom to meet this morning without a bunch of Russians or another government, World War II, Nazis were trying to take over the Lord. Imagine if we weren't able to meet 
because there were Nazis coming in checking on us and telling us what we could and couldn't do. A cutthroat culture. That's their kingdom. The Nazis were trying to establish their kingdom. The Russians were trying to establish their kingdom. And so here's Jesus, and he walks onto the scene. He starts talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And these people are looking around like, well, the Romans came in, and they did this kind of, I mean, they did some good things, like aqueducts and roads and things like that. But they did a whole lot of bad things, like oppress people, which is never good. And Jesus is saying, I'm about to establish my kingdom. These people had heard all their life that a Messiah was coming to save them. Like imagine growing up in Nazi Germany as a little Jewish kid and hearing all your life that someone's going to come and save you if the Nazis hadn't been defeated. Imagine. It's hard for us to even wrap our minds around that someday a Messiah or a Savior would come and save you. And so these People have grown up all their life hearing that someday a Messiah, a Savior is coming. And now here's Jesus and he could be this guy. What would that look like? What would that be like? And so who were the kinds of people that started following Jesus as he starts proclaiming his kingdom? We see that in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19, he calls a bunch of fishermen. How many know fishermen are really impressive guys? No, especially in that culture, these, these are not like, he didn't call scribes and Pharisees and the religious leaders, he calls fishermen. These are just common everyday folk who kind of smell bad because, you know, fish, right? Who else does he call? You look at Matthew 4, 24, it says he calls the sick, he calls the diseased, those who have pain, the demon pest, the epileptic, the paralytics, like, like, the cast-offs of society. And in that day and age, if you were one of these things, you weren't allowed to be a part of the group. You had to live separately. You had to be separately because people were like, hey, you're unclean. You can't be around me. It's not terribly dissimilar. Like, okay, imagine we've, we've just gone through this COVID thing and, you know, like every time someone coughs, Everyone's like, oh my goodness, right? Remember? Remember when it all first started and someone around you would cough and you'd just be like, wait a minute. Why are you here? Like, because we didn't know how big or crazy this thing was going to be. Like, you should have stayed home probably, right? Some of us had those thoughts. Some of us, we were that person. We were like in the storm. We're like, oh, I've got to cough. I've got to cough. Don't cough. Don't cough. Don't cough, right? Y you're all laughing because you all know it's true because you didn't want to be like, whoa, what are you doing out, man? You should be at home. Imagine that multiplied by more than we can imagine. That you're not even able to live in a community because you are sick or diseased. That you have to live separate than everyone else because of your condition. And these are the people that are coming to Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 25, it tells us that great crowds started following Jesus Say great crowds. Great crowds of what kind of people? The downcast, the lowly. The people who are oppressed and they're expecting a new kingdom because Jesus is walking around saying, hey, it's time for a new kingdom to come. 
It's time for a new kingdom to come. And as Jesus begins to speak, this is almost like his inaugural address. Like he's about to tell people, here's what my kingdom's going to look like. What do you think these guys are expecting? What would you expect if you were poor and broken and sick and destitute and a guy said, hey, I've got a new kingdom I'm starting. That's the reason they're following him. Not just because he's cool and he heals people, but he's going to establish a new kingdom. And I'm going to say, like, if for a moment, and this will hopefully offend some of you, some of you are more American than you are Christian. I'm not saying don't be proud to be an American. Sure, do it. But can I tell you, I'm a Christian who just happened to be born in America. That's it. I, and I will say this. I mean, like, if tomorrow Lord, the Lord called me, he said, Drew, I want you to move to, I don't know, Poland and get Polish citizenship and preach the gospel there. If, if I knew that's what he's calling me to do, I would do it because I'm a Christian before an American, right? The problem when we read with these people, they're Jewish. I mean, they are Jewish, right? The way some of us, we're American. They're Jewish, and now Jesus is going to come, and he's really going to establish their Jewish kingdom. That's not what Jesus is about to do. Just the way Jesus doesn't establish your Americanism, right? So Jesus, it says in chapter 5, verse 1, says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down with his disciples and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying. So now he's going to begin to tell them what his kingdom looks like. He's going to tell them something that is so completely backwards and upside down from anything they've ever heard. Like, and that's the reality of Scripture. Like, if you looked at this whole thing, it's so backwards and upside down. You think if you become a Christian, your life will get better. I'm going to tell you this morning. That's not what this book says. In fact, if you want to hold your place there for just a moment and flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of jesus christ what he's saying is you're going to suffer some things but guess what the result's going to be praise and honor and glory to jesus christ how many are willing to say yes to suffering if it results in the praise and glory of jesus christ yeah we all do on sunday morning in church wait till monday and the boss shows up and says i'm Time for your performance review. You're not doing so good. Where's your faith now? Flip over to chapter 4. I heard Francis Chan teach on this section once. It wrecked me. It said, Beloved, in verse 12 of chapter 4, it said, Beloved, 
Do not be surprised. Look at the person next to you and don't be surprised. Say, it. Say don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. I actually have had people in this church come up to me when I'm going through a hard time and they've actually said, Pastor Drew, you shouldn't be surprised. And I'm like, hmm. You shouldn't be surprised. It says, but what? But, look at verse 13, but. What? Rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ that you may also Rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. That when I suffer, the glory of Christ can be revealed in me and through me. I'm also reminded of James chapter 1. You guys know that one's one of my favorites. It says, count it all joy, brothers, when you go through trials of different kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith results at the very end in your maturity like everything that i walk through it's upside down i thought when i started going to church that my life would get better pastor drew it's gotten harder all i can say is look around the room we're here for you right we're a body we're here for you you have jesus to walk with you through this i'm not selling going to church very much this morning am i but I am telling you the truth of the gospel. It is upside down from your way of thinking. The kingdom of God is upside down. So we're going to go through these nine blessings. They're called the Beatitudes. Say Beatitudes. I think it's Latin. Is it Latin? I think it's Latin. It just means like blessing or the blessed ones or something like that. Um, it's been a while since I looked that one up. Um, you don't have to call it the Beatitudes. You can call it the blessings or whatever. And when I was a kid, they always taught him as blessed are the poor. Blessed, it's just blessed. So if you hear me slip off into blessed every now and then, that's just my childhood coming out. Um, but it says this, blessed, and I want to stop because blessed, what does that mean? Oh, he's so blessed. Oh, just bless his heart. Like, what does it mean to be blessed um if you think of it wrong you could think to be blessed is to have a lot of stuff that's what we like like usually the only time i hear the word blessing is when someone just accidentally somehow found like 200 dollars they weren't counting on like oh my gosh i got a 300 dollars check in the mail it wasn't counting on i'm so blessed and you are blessed but that's not the full meaning of this word blessed is simply this happy happy and this is something that jewish rabbis like this isn't just something jesus did this is something jewish rabbis in that culture would do all the time they say blessed are people who do this and blessed are people who have that and blessed are but it was usually things like like blessed are you if you have rich friends and we're all like yeah that's what rabbis back then would teach like blessed are you if you're very wise that's probably true right you're blessed you're happy but I want, as we crawl through these, I want you to also think of something else is that being blessed, it's not just like happy. Like this is not something you try to do. It's just something that you are. Okay, I'm going to say this again. These blessings, 
aren't something you're trying to do. It's just something that you are. It's kind of like we just went through the fruit of the Spirit with the kids, right? The kids who are struggling right now because they were up past midnight. So many, so many eye, heavy eyelids right now all across the room. They're just praying. They're just seeing God. Cash is looking, he's like, no, I'm good, man, I'm good. I saw the look on your face. All right, I got this. You do, man, you got this. But when we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, it was like this. It says, the works of the ev- flesh are evident, but the fruit of the Spirit is. It's not like, well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not like, okay, I have to try to be love and be self-controlled and be. No, no, no. It's the fruit of the Spirit. What you have to do is be in the Spirit, right? And if you're in the Spirit, guess what will come out? Love, joy, peace, pay, like all those things. It's the same thing with these blessings. Blessed are you if you just are them. Then how do I be them? We'll talk about that. Blessed, it says, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to back up. Because remember, this is Jesus proclaiming what his kingdom is going to be like. So you think you say, blessed are y'all, because you're sitting here listening to me, and I'm awesome. And blessed are you when you take up arms and fight the Roman government not what he's saying at all he's let's back up to the front he he says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that does not make any sense you know who kingdoms should belong to powerful authority structures blessed are those who take what's theirs right blessed are those who fight for it but that's not what he says he said blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And people talk about this all the time. And like, because I think it's in Luke, he just says, blessed are the poor. But here in Matthew, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What's really the difference? How do I be poor in spirit? So I need to try to be poorer in spirit. But let's back up and think about who are the people following Jesus? The people who are broken, the down and outs, the people who have nothing. People have no other hope. Guess what they are? They are poor in spirit. They have spiritual poverty. And I know if I were to walk around this room and just ask one of you, you've had times in your life where you were just spiritually poor. You were just completely broken. And the only thing that you knew would save you was Jesus. And can I tell you, when you came to that moment, you were blessed because the kingdom of heaven was finally, the day you got saved, you were this. You realize I am spiritually bankrupt. 
I have nothing good in and of myself on my own. I'm in need of a Savior. And the day you said yes to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven became yours. So blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they should be covered. Now, guys, this doesn't mean you need to go start mourning so you can get comforted. Like, I need to find something to be sad about. Right? Once again, remember, this is not you trying to be these things. It's just people who already are. And, and think about it. Once again, think about the context of who Jesus is talking to. The crowd he's talking to are people. And, and I want to say it's, it's two different things. It's, you can be people who freak out when bad stuff happens in your life. That's way this side of mourning. Or people who try to fix everything on your own. That's this side of mourning. Jesus is saying, look, if you're mourning, you're not trying to control everything and you're not freaking out, getting hysterical, if you're just mourning, Jesus says, you can be happy because guess what? You're going to be comforted. How many of you have been in that place where you've mourned and you felt the comfort of the Holy Spirit? In fact, the Scripture calls the Holy Spirit our comforter. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This one's weird. I mean, we don't use meek very often. Usually when we see meek, we say little meek, like, mm-hmm. he's so meek, right? That's not really probably a good translation of this word um, nowadays because we don't ever use the word meek very often. This word meek might better be translated gentle. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And once again, this is upside down because if I'm going to inherit something that belongs to someone else, I have to go take it. Who, who had the earth at that time? The Romans. How are we going to take it over from the Romans? By being gentle. Kids, can I tell you, here's a great way to win an argument with your parents. Be gentle. Parents, wouldn't that go a long way? If your kids came to you with some humility, with some gentleness, that's probably another great way to translate this word is humble. Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth like like there's this thing about being gentle about being humble that jesus saying which is upside down from the way the world sees it which is take what's yours blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled and this is another word that righteousness that we don't use a lot in our daily language but probably a great way for us to talk about this morning is righteousness being right relationship being in right standing like when we say it with god it's like blessed are those you could say if i'm righteous i have right standing with god i have right relationship with god i'm righteous we use it a little bit different in our culture but blessed are those who hunger for right relationship for you're going to be filled And, and the problem is don't we hunger for things that aren't that so many times we, we hunger for, for things of the world, or we hunger for this fix or that fix. We think, if I watch this movie, it'll make me feel better, or, or get this help, or use this alcohol, or that drug, or that other thing. Like We hunger for lots of things, but he's saying if you hunger for right relationship, and I would say with God or with others, you will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. They will be 
filled. There's only one thing that can satisfy your hunger, and it is Jesus Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory, to be merciful to the people around us. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I'm reminded, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, right? Like, how can you be pure in heart except with Jesus Christ? It's like, blessed are you if you have pure motives, because you'll get to see God. And I think some of us are like, ooh, how do I, I need to try to have pure motives. So some of you, that's the one that got you, like, okay, these aren't things we do, it's just things that we are, you know, and like, ooh, maybe my motives aren't always pure. I'm saying you lean into Jesus and he purifies those motives. And I, I love this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Okay, can I tell you? Now, this is, this is tough. This one's a hard one. Have you ever tried to make peace with somebody before? Between you and another person? How many have ever tried to make peace with someone before and they rejected it? You're still a son of God. What about this? How many of you have ever tried to be that intermediary between two people who are at war with one another and you try to make peace with them? Either it goes really well or it goes really bad. I tried to do that a couple weeks ago with a couple people. It went terrible. I felt awful. And then I started recent reading this and I'm like, wait, why do I, like I, my, my inclination was forget that. I'm never getting involved in somebody's stuff again, right? And it wasn't that I was being nosy. These were people who were part of my life. Oh, by the way, pause real quick. When I give examples during sermons and I say, I have a friend who, or I know these people that, you guys keep trying to guess who I'm talking about. You're like, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Yeah. Um, just so you know, I never give examples of people who are sitting in the room. So the moral of the story is don't be gone on Sunday morning. because then you might be the example in the room. No, um, I just want you to know that I never talk about people who are in the room I just without their permission, because I just think that's dishonest, right? But I was like, in my moment, I was like, man, I don't want to make peace with people, because it, they both kind of came at me. I'm like, hey, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just trying to make peace, right? But there should be this desire in our hearts as people of God that we want to see peace. And that's why I, that's why I really, really question people who call themselves Christians that are so far into politics that every post they make is making war against other people. Like, by all means, have a political viewpoint. But why are you making war when God has called us as children of God to be peacemakers? Be peacemakers. This is where we live. If you're going to be persecuted, don't be persecuted for your political opinion. If you're going to be persecuted, what does it say in the next section? If you're going to be persecuted, be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Be persecuted because you want to have right relationship with God and right relationship with people. And then that last one, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad 
for your reward is great in heaven. And it says, that's the way they did the prophets that were before you. Listen, some of you are scared to speak up about Jesus at different places because you're afraid you're going to be persecuted. But I'm going to say, speak up because then you're blessed and you're happy. It's time to speak up. Some of us, we, we just withdraw. Oh, I don't know if I can really share that. I'm telling you guys, it's time to speak up. Well, what if they don't want to hear? It's time to speak up on the behalf of Christ. Because then we are truly blessed. And when you look through these nine things, these nine blessings, where, where are they fulfilled? And what person are they fulfilled? And what person? You can say it. It's fine. You're allowed to talk in here. I know you're tired and it's a little warm. It's Jesus, right? All these things are fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, worship team, can you come? I don't know what the second to last song was, but let's do that one. I don't remember it at all. I, I want to talk to you for just a moment about this upside-down way of thinking and this upside-down kingdom that Jesus is talking about here. Because remember, like, y'all, these people's minds were blown. They were slapped senseless when they got done hearing this stuff. And so far, you this morning, you're like, oh, that's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. Guys, it's not good stuff. It's terrifying. This is terrifying. I think it's better shown, and I apologize for you who walk with me in discipleship because this is going to be um, stuff that you've heard before, but welcome to being my friend. Um, in Luke chapter 9, if you want to turn there, verses 23 through 25, it says this, and he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me forever. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Like right here, this is that upside down kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. And if you read this over in Matthew, it's said in a place where Jesus is about to point his feet towards Jerusalem. He's about to move towards the place where he will die on the cross. And he makes this statement. He makes this statement when Peter is like, Jesus, we're going to help you establish your kingdom. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're, you're, you're a little bit Satan right now. He says, get behind me, Satan. Because you've got this backwards. You think you're going to help me establish some permanent kingdom here on earth. But we'll get to vanquish the Romans once and for all. Do you think this morning that if you give your life to Jesus, he's going to make all those people that are mean to you at school or work be nice to you all of a sudden? You think his kingdom in your life means life is easy. And this is what Jesus responds to that with as he's about to head to Jerusalem to be nailed to a cross. He makes this statement. My disciple-making leaders, this is why I pushed you 
on this in your groups. If you look at 9.25, Luke 9.25, Matthew. I want us to take just half a second. Stick with me. It says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? My translation says, loses and forfeits. Now, I've lost things before. You ever lost something? You ever lose your car in the Walmart parking lot? I have to park in the same place every time because if I don't, I can't remember where I parked. Ever forfeited something before? Like it's raining and you're like, oh, I don't want to go out and play that soccer game in the rain. Hey, we forfeit. Right? Yeah, you, yeah, we forfeit. We give up. We surrender. Um, yeah, that's not actually a really great translation of these words. Because if you look, I believe in the Greek that word lose is apolemi, apolemi, something like that. Which means to utterly destroy. It means to utterly destroy. Now look, look. It's one thing to lose your car in the Walmart parking lot. It's another thing for your car to be utterly destroyed. Right? Those are completely different words. It's one thing to forfeit. This, this word in the Greek is actually means to inflict damage. So what this is saying actually is this. It says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and utterly destroys himself and inflicts damage on himself? Like, you got all the other stuff right. You have the house, you have the cars, you have the right relationships. You're hanging out with the cool kids. On Facebook, it looks like everything's going great with you, but you're utterly destroyed and you're inflicting damage on yourself because you're trying to hang on to you. And if we look back at those Beatitudes, it's none of that. It's letting go of you completely. Some of you struggle committing to any kind of spending time with the Lord daily because it means giving up some of your time, some of your sleep mostly, right? Because you're going to have to get up earlier. Well, that, I, I just, I like to sleep in. So does literally everyone. But it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to utterly destroy your sleep schedule. Some of you don't want to walk into a disciple-making group because it means you're going to have to rearrange your life. To be a part of a group that wants to grow you closer to Christ. And I'm saying rearrange your life. Utterly destroy your schedule. Is Jesus worth it? Is the question. In verse 23... He's actually saying to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I just want you to know, like today we wear the cross and it's this cute thing we have on our t-shirts, whatever. But in that day and age, remember the Romans impressing them? That was the symbol of their oppression to them. Like how offensive. If you wore a shirt with a cross on it in that day and age, it'd be like wearing a shirt with a big middle finger stuck up. Like no joke. That was the cross. The cross was offensive. And Jesus is like, Hey, if you want to follow me, you've been hanging around and following me for a while, now it's time to pick up your cross and die. 
Because we know in two verses later, he's saying, if you're going to save your life, what you're going to end up doing is actually utterly destroying yourself. And this is where it hits hard. Because in verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. For whoever, and that word save is sozo, it means preserve, heal, protect, right? Whoever wants to save their life, it's the same word we use for are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved, I'm healed, I'm preserved, I'm protected by Christ, right? But he's saying, if you try to save your life and do it your way, you're going to utterly, that's that same word, you're going to utterly destroy yourself. But then look at the second half of this verse, because this is where it gets really intense. It says, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Can I tell you again? That's that same word. So whoever utterly destroys his life for my sake will save it. You're so busy trying to save yourself and save what you think is a good kingdom, to be a good American, a good parent, a good this, that, and the other. And Jesus is calling you this morning to his kingdom, which calls for a complete abandonment of who you are, to utterly destroy yourself so that you can save yourself. So my question for us today, for in our house of prayer, is what do we need to utterly destroy in ourselves? Will you close your eyes for a minute? What do you need to utterly destroy in yourself? What are you hanging on to that you can't let go of? Is it the opinions of other people? Is it secretly using that drug? Is it that relationship that you know is toxic and you need to let go of it? God keeps telling you, this is not good. But you need it to survive so you're saving it. Is it that job that you know God wants you to walk away from? But over and over again, you're like, no, I need to save myself. I need to protect myself. And you're not giving in. Maybe it's simple. Maybe the Lord's saying, you're supposed to be in one of those small groups. You're like, I just don't have time. You're supposed to be waking up early and spending time with me. Like, God, I just want to sleep. This morning, I'm asking you to utterly destroy yourself for the sake of Christ. I'm asking you to surrender all. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church. 